welcome everybody to All About Windows Phone Insight Podcast, uh, number 89, recording this on the 18th of February 2014. I'm Steve Litchfield. Um, Ewan is unavailable. We do have Mr. Ray Blanford. Hello, everybody. Thank you, Steve. And it's been a very exciting and frustrating week, really, for a Windows Phone platform. Exciting because of all the things that have been leaking out. I use the word leak because they're not supposed to be public at all. Right? The Windows Phone 8.1 SDK and all the exciting things that are going to be enabled. Um, the frustrating thing is that none of it will be, be available, I guess, in users' hands for another, what, three or four months, Ray? Yeah, that's right. I mean, we've talked about availability for Windows Phone 8.1 before. The official announcement we're anticipating is going to be April the 2nd at Build, which is Microsoft's big developer conference. Developers should be able to get their hands on it then. And actually, some consumers may be able to get it through the developer preview program. We're not entirely sure of all the details of that. It's possible, you know, it could be a part of it. I suspect what you'll get is a, a preview release. But you're right. Consumers, in the sense of it arriving on either new phones or updating existing phones, I think the earliest we can expect that is probably very late April. I think it's more likely to be May. And for the existing devices, I wouldn't be at all surprised to see that stretch into sort of the June. Uh, July timeframe. And, and like you say, there's always mixed feelings about leaks. I mean, I, I personally find them a bit frustrating because you never get, you know, the right level of detail. You don't kind of get all the, if you like, the messaging around it. I mean, these days with any smartphone launch or platform launch or update, it's interesting hearing how the manufacturer or the developers or whoever it happens to be kind of positions it because it's a very complex beast. And so you kind of feel like you're only getting half a story, quite apart from you know all the work that goes into it. And there's plenty of room for misinterpretation. But as you say, there has been a, a pretty noticeable leak this week. It's all come out of the developer SDK. Microsoft, um, I think quite rightly, has to make the, the SDK, that's the software development kit, available for developers ahead of time so they can get their apps ready, maybe take advantage of the new APIs, make sure everything's running properly. But that does mean, of course, that it's outside of Microsoft's control. And, you know, there have been, these are all protected under NDAs theoretically, but it seems to have leaked out from behind that NDA and other people have been able to download it. And as a result, it's mainly screenshots from the emulator have come out showing off some of the new features, although there are also people looking through the kind of the filing system of the SDK, looking through the SDK documentation, using that to pick out you know, what features are going to be present in 8.1. It's worth emphasising it's definitely not complete because there are some features that we know are in the finished product that aren't in this uh, preview SDK, but there are certainly plenty of goodies to talk about, aren't there, Steve? Yeah, absolutely. Maybe I can pick out a couple of my favourites and then rather sure. than go to the entire list of five million, you can <laughs> pick out about, uh, maybe six or seven of yours as well. Um, I want to start with the fact that um, there's now going to be a dedicated podcast, podcasts stroke podcatching application at last. Um, it does look fairly basic uh, in Windows Phone 8.1 Rave, but having said that, um, fairly basic may be quite good enough for about 80, 90% of people. I'll just explain that you have to, you can search for a podcast uh, using the Bing directory, which is fine, as I'm sure most of the major podcasts are in there, and you can then set them to only da- to download automatically over Wi-Fi. Uh, or, or data as needed, etc. There isn't a way of importing an existing set of subscriptions or exporting them or presumably even saving your your podcast subscription should you have to reset the device, which is slightly disappointing. I guess that's the point at which a, a casual podcatching program differs from what we you know the, the fully featured professional podcatching programs we've seen in my article roundups. But um, I would contend that, that this is perfectly good enough for the um, for the man in the street, Rafe. And just, just react to that, then I'll come back with my second piece. Uh, I, I- 
agree. I mean, what's also interesting about this is apparently this app has been created by the Bing team. It's the same team that's created the Bing News, the Bing Sports, and some of the more recent beta applications. We've just had health and fitness out in the last few days and food and drink the previous week. And they've got a pretty solid reputation for creating good-looking as well as very functional apps. And I'm certainly, in terms of the built-in apps, I'm a big believer in building apps that suit 80% of people. And I think that's sometimes... a whole windows phone that you know it feels like that and sometimes it can be probably rightly criticized for that it's sort of missing the 10 percent of functionality at the top 8.1 i think is going to reduce that feeling looking at some of the updates here uh, but there's still going to be room for the third party podcast clients that kind of offer a richer experience particularly i think around the discovery of uh, of podcasts i mean i do like podcast lounge an app we talk about a lot because it does make it very easy to find new podcasts um we don't actually know exactly how this new one's going to work. It does appear there's going to be kind of a search box that ties into Bing to find new podcasts, but I suspect it won't be quite as smooth as what's available in, in third-party clients. But I guess um, as excited I am to see it you know, built in, and I think it should be built in. I, I guess I feel a bit sorry for some of the people who've been working so hard on the you know on third-party apps as well. Yeah, as you say, there'll be there will always be a market for third-party apps. It's just a shame because there are so many third-party apps <laughs> that the particular niche is spread rather rather thinly. Um, the second thing I wanted to point out, in fact, I have thought of a third thing. We'll come to that in a moment. Is the fact that there's going to be apparently a, a new optional um, a virtual navigation bar. Now, people who are familiar with the Android world will know the Android Android OS started out with physical control buttons, and they moved with Android four to having the, these virtual controls. Actually, i.e., they get out of the, the get out of the way on the screen when needed for, for media consumption and they come back when you needed them so that they you had the absolute best use of the front of the space on the phone and the maximum flexibility and it doesn't look as if the same thing's coming to windows phone 8.1 we've in the sdk there's the option we've seen screenshots of this an um, optional virtual navigation bar with back windows key and search exactly the same as you get in the hard-coded or capacitive buttons in the existing devices at the moment but the, the flexibility rate to have a device which is quite literally beautiful on the front with just screen, minimal bezel, and no physical icons or controls, nothing to break break up break up the, the sheer beauty of it all. And then on screen will become the controls you need. And again, they'll get out of the way when you're consuming media. Yeah, it's a, an interesting one. I mean, it's been rumoured for a while. And in fact, we've posted and I think even talked about it a couple of times on the podcast. But seeing the screenshots in action kind of bring it home to you. And as you say, there's actually kind of an option to hide it and send some clever stuff with full screen mode whereby you know, you'll be in a game and you'll be able to sort of make it disappear, so a swipe down, which you'll also be able to change the colour of it, kind of a little theming thing. Uh, you're right, there's that kind of beauty element to it. Of course, there's also a, a cost element to it in that on the cheaper devices, manufacturers won't have to you know, do all the extras that are required to have those as, as physical or capacitive buttons. And it may not seem like very much, but at those price points, even you know a few tens of cents can make a, you know, a couple of dollars difference to the end price. When you're talking about a device that may be costing $100 or less, you know, even that little amount can be significant. We're talking maybe 2 or 3% of the price, but that will build up by the time you think about uh, all the costs involved. Uh, personally, I'm not 100% convinced by not having them as Hubble and I kind of like having them always there, but that probably reflects what I'm used to. It's you know the familiarity principle at play here. And certainly there are plenty of Android devices, and you know, Android's gone that way more generally very successfully as well so it'd be interesting to see whether windows phone follows that same route and as we've said before it does you know create the interesting scenario where you could basically have a an android and a windows phone device running on not just sort of identical internal specifications but theoretically at least you know identical 
external design as well and that offers potential cost savings and maybe a way for manufacturers to kind of produce a windows phone device um, more cheaply i mean you, you use devices with both particular methods I mean, beauty aside which i think is an interesting point I think about the n9 and that kind of original fabulous design language which did that so well do you have a preference for these kind of on-screen buttons or you know real physical buttons or the capacitive buttons steve I'm torn, really, and I've often been said in the past, devices, for example, the Nokia 808 and the Symbian world were physical, um, call and hang-up keys, for example. That was a great example of where a physical button had a, a positive impact on your data mm. experience. But having said that, they, they, the sheer beauty of a device, which is just a sheet of glass, the, the engineer in me, the, the, the design fetishist in me, that yes, that's, that is the way to go. It's the way of the future. It's totally future-proof. It's totally flexible uh, and very, very beautiful. Um, so I, I'm torn. I, I'd be very happy to see this come in, now, and I can imagine it in use when, of course, the screens themselves will be able to get larger because you won't need such a bigger uh, you know, bottom bezel physically on the device. Yeah, I mean, it will save anything up to about a, a centimetre of space on the bottom. Yeah. And I think you're right with the physical keys. When you're mainly using them as phones, having physical end and send keys made a lot of sense. These days, it, it, it's less there. And, uh, you know, there, there's potential. I mean, the trouble with having static keys is you don't have a lot of flexibility. It's interesting that there's going to be some other changes. Um, for example, we're expecting a, a kind of a full screen mode with the search button where you'll have to, have to tap it twice in order to bring up the search functionality. You know, that's to avoid accidental or tapped when you're in games and things like that it also seems a long press on search is going to you know be the way to get into the kind of the speech mode and there's probably some new stuff coming from there we haven't heard much about that because it's not in the sdk and it looks like the windows button will be changing this is one change i'm really looking forward to seeing if you press it once you'll go to the start screen if you press it again it will go back to the last app you've used that's actually the way it works in windows 8 or in windows rt uh, at the moment, of course, if you press the start button, or something, you just go back to the start screen. But I do like that idea of being able to go back to the start screen, look at something quickly, maybe on the live tiles or whatever it happens to be, and press the start button again to go back to the app you're in. That, that certainly appeals. It appears there's also going to be some changes to the behavior of the back button, looking at the developer documentation. We're going to have a life cycle for apps similar to that, which you've got in, in Windows 8, and that whole windows phone windows 8 getting close together is definitely a theme that comes out of all these uh sdk leaks particularly from the developer point of view but uh i'll let steve do his uh third item before rabbiting on about that <laughs> i did see now i may be picking up the wrong end of the stick here but uh now imagine um again going back to other operating systems you'd have typically they say oh it's got a file system you can store files here and there and, and you do tap through to the file manager in quotes and there'll be oh there's a pictures folder and a, a downloads folder and a movies folder and so forth and you got kind of got the impression that it was a file system but you weren't really seeing the whole thing which is fine because you expect an operating system to hide away all the secrets and the bits it doesn't want you to fiddle with now if, if unless i'm wrong in the screenshots of 8.1 there is a similar system there's a file picker and a and access to a limited set of folders. Now, obviously, this is not; these are not, you know, root folders within the Windows Phone operating system. But they're obviously part of it, a user space, if you like, within the within the, uh, the device. But uh, I think that's a welcome change. So, so you can download a file to a folder marked Documents and actually be able to find it locally under Documents and not only within a you know a specific application which is looking for it. Yeah, I think that that's great. I mean, it's been one of the big complaints about Windows Phone. 
And I, c- I can certainly see the other point of view in that if you keep things nice and simple, hide the complexity of a filing system from people. Because I think anyone who's done any kind of tech support for family members will know that families ma- members manage to hide files in the most inventive places. <laughs> uh, and so, you know, hiding that complexity, because after all, the filing system is a complete artificial construct in one sense. It's all just data sitting on a hard disk. And it's sort of uh, th- the idea of files and folders is taken from a filing cabinet. It doesn't really have any relation to what's going on. But it is a useful way of explaining things i think what we're actually going to end up with is probably a halfway house i mean there may be um, a fight well there is a filing system sitting underneath obviously and you'll see that when you're maybe downloading files using internet explorer and from what we've seen uh, you can download any file you like and, and save that rather than this old problem you have of trying to open it in a particular app or things like that so i think that's another uh, great change there's also a kind of a new file picker dialog available to apps where you can navigate through files and folders. Whether there's going to be an explicit file manager application, I'm not so sure. I suspect it will be a bit like a desktop windows with the SkyDrive based file manager where you'll kind of have two sets to this, two sides to a file manager or rather a SkyDrive application, one of which is all the cloud stuff and one of which is the local stuff. And you will be able to, as Steve describes, they go through your user folders and there'll be things like photos, but also office documents and that'll all be available for attaching to email so another kind of criticism that's in the current windows phone address there and yes absolutely i'll be really pleased to see that because it's a frustration i do come across as a page thinking oh i'd like to i can't do that Um, and when you compare it to what we have had previously on older devices and also on competing platforms you know it, it is annoying but it's interesting all the platforms have kind of merged towards this idea of actually not really having a file manager as such but encouraging users to you know keep all their data in this sort of relatively well structured user data area and it's certainly very different for desktop pcs where you can have a file manager with access to anything and i think it's the right approach yeah yeah so having uh, me having made three of my favorite picks from the long long list of uh, quote leaks Windows Phone 8.1, perhaps you could take a couple of yours that, that particularly uh, spoke to you. Yeah, the first one I wanted to talk about was uh, sort of developer-orientated. It's actually how the, the original leak started. It was sort of a discussion of universal apps, and it's the idea that developers will be able to create a project in Visual Studio and then sort of share code. It's not quite sort of a universal you know, binary that you can run on both Windows 8 and Windows Phone, but it's getting close to that in that you'll have a single project that will then create an app that can run on Windows 8 and Windows Phone and share code between the two. I mean, that's important because it's something you kind of already have in the Android and the iPhone world between uh, phone and, uh, and tablet. And Microsoft is kind of going to take that a bit further in a way in that it's also going to be on desktop PCs, although I think the emphasis is obviously on Windows Store apps. That's the, st- the stuff that runs within that kind of that Metro Windows 8 user interface or the modern UI, whatever you want to call it. Um, but more important than that is kind of what's happening underneath the APIs particularly with regard to the way they're named or sitting in the namespaces are getting closer together. And so they're all going to come under the Windows UI namespace rather than being under sort of a Windows phone specific thing. It's not, I mean, people sort of talking about universal apps as if it's sort of total integration, total merger. It's not got to that point yet. It's clear that Microsoft is heading in that direction. 
but it does you know reduce the amount of code uh, that developers might have to create when they're doing both applications and i think that's going to be good for consumers because you'll get greater commonality of app, you know how the way apps look and feel and work between the two platforms but also you'll get apps that you know exist on both platforms that's not always something we have now so it's very much an under the hood change but i think it's you know very positive for the general windows ecosystem and not just the windows phone one that we concentrate on picking out a couple of other things is really difficult because there's so many um, potential ones but one of the most interesting to my mind is the way app behavior is changing in that it will be possible to install apps onto sd cards uh, at the moment of course you can only install them onto internal memory but i mean steve think about your usage presumably that's something that would be useful because anything you can do to preserve internal storage particularly on some of the lower specification devices where you've only got eight gigabytes of internal memory is going to be a good idea especially when you've got games taking up you know up to a gigabyte of space Oh, absolutely, yes. And also the flexibility that one day, I know we don't do this a lot in the modern age, but you can take the card out and pop it into a different device and all of a sudden your media is there. And I'm certainly switching between Symbian and Android devices. In the past, I've noticed that flexibility. And virtually every Windows phone device I've owned because of my preference for the pure view cameras, I've ended up with sealed memory and I haven't been able to enjoy that. But I I would be able to enjoy, I think, in the future, some degree of sharing media in particular between the different platforms. Yeah, well, I think you'll be able to share media, but it won't be possible to kind of share apps I install it on one and then use it on another device because sure. that would break the uh, Windows Phone security model, which is obviously one of the strengths of the platform. Uh, but I think maximizing that internal space is becoming more of an issue uh, these days, especially as more apps get installed and they increase in size. The other thing that's coming along with app behavior is this idea that the backup will now include app data. Now, I do expect this to be something developers have to opt into so it won't happen sort of automatically straight away. But instead of just uh, backing up your app list, Windows Phone will now also back up the data that goes with that. So that might be something like game saves or subscriptions in a podcast client or anything else you can think of. Again, it's one of the examples of Windows Phone adding a feature that other platforms already have uh, and kind of achieving that that parity, which I think is a really important thing. I mean, that is something that will get talked about a lot with Windows Phone 8.1, but I think that's inevitable when you're talking about a younger platform that's playing catch-up, and I don't see that as a bad thing. I mean, people complain if they uh, don't have it, and then complain when it is added, saying, oh, it's just a catch-up feature. Um, there are quite a few other things you know, like that, there's some uh, things coming in for accessibility. There's some things coming in for smart card and around the wallet. Um, but, you know, particularly as I say, that app behavior one, I think is important. And I would also link that into the new APIs. Uh, we've talked in the previous podcast about how it's going to do low power Bluetooth, but it also appears that there's going to be a significant rewrite or rather an upgrade to the existing APIs. And just one example to concentrate on is media. At the moment, it's very difficult to kind of get access to media, particularly videos from third-party applications. That's something that's going to change. It appears it's going to be possible to do things like uh, re-encoding of videos, uh, uploading them, editing them, uh, and things like that. And so that will enable a whole set of new applications and also music management and media management in general. So that will allow kind of a flourishing of different types of of applications so i think that's you know that's kind of a, a big deal as far as i'm concerned um i think if i pick out let's just say go go for one more feature shall we um oh, no i'm gonna make it two more features just uh, squeeze it in uh one's a, a quick one which is a new week view in calendar there's loads of third-party apps that offer this um 
but it will be great to have it built into the platform. And the reason I mention this is because I've been sort of doing my uh, diary for MWC next week and trying to keep track of what slots I've got free on what days and that kind of thing. It's been a bit tricky. So it's certainly something I would like to see personally in the calendar application on, on Windows Phone. Uh, I think the last one that I was going to talk about um, was going to be just a really little one in the UI. And we've only touched on on these features. There are a lot more. Go and read the articles. Is when you're looking at the app switcher, sort of related to multitasking this, in addition to pressing the close button, you'll also be able to swipe it the, the panel down to make it close. That's very similar to the behavior you have on the other mobile platforms as well as on, on desktop windows. It's just a little thing, but there are examples of that throughout what we've seen at the SDK where the UI has just been getting little tweaks and updates. And so that's really great to see. It's worth mentioning that are some big changes to the kind of multitasking in general because there's a whole load of new uh, background tasks that's the thing that really enable multitasking on windows phone and just to pick out one example there's going to be support for geofencing this is location related in that the system will notify an app when your phone enters or leaves uh, a predefined area so that could be you're sitting on a train and you're about to pull into a station and an app's notified and it will then sound alarm you know tell you to wake up and get off the train and that's the kind of thing that these new APIs, this particular geofencing one, will enable. But there's, it could be used for more complex tracking than that as well. I mean, for example, there's the traditional parent-child tracking things. You could set an area that your phone lets you know if your child leaves a certain area. I mean, that obviously requires a, a server component as well. But there are some some more of those coming in, and you know. Let's say we've, uh, I think, probably mentioned about 10 or 15 items. There's probably 50 or 60 mentioned on the site, and I suspect there's probably more to come. Um, Action Centre and Notification, which we talked about last time, is a big one that's missing from the current SDK, but I think that's one a lot of people are looking forward to. So that's probably a pretty good place to leave all the Windows Phone 8.1 leaks with the usual proviso that none of this is guaranteed. It's all in preview, and you have to wait until the consumer release to see what's really there. Yeah, Ray, are we expecting, as with Limia Black, most, all the current Windows Phone 8 devices to get this update, or will it be limited to perhaps the, the top re- upper echelon? No, it's going to be available for every single Windows Phone 8 device. Um, I would just add the caveat that it's possible that some of the operator-specific models might get left out in the cold if they decide not to certify and update them. That seems to have happened with the T-Mobile 810 um, with regard to Lumia Black, but it may be that Microsoft will sort of lay down the law and say, no, this update's going to be available. And I suspect it will be available through this developer preview program as well. But no, the documentation makes it very clear that uh, 8.1 is available to all existing Windows Phone 8 devices, which is really great news, um, particularly given what happened last time with Windows Phone 7.5, 7.8, and that sort of upgrade that got messed out. It's not really surprising. I mean, there is quite a bit of headroom in Windows Phone 8, and actually all the complex bits were done last time round. Really, 8.1 is sort of finishing off some of that from the developer point of view, though that uh, namespacing of the APIs I was talking about earlier, but also in terms of a lot of these features are kind of filling in or adding extra stuff. I mean, a good example is the way we're getting VPN or we're now also getting storage and battery sense in addition to data sense. You know, pretty much what they sound like, great for new users who may be a little less comfortable with using a smartphone. 
but yes, it's. I mean, I think that's in one sense the the best news to get is that it's going to be available for all the existing devices, which I imagine will make existing device owners very happy. And, and make no mistake, this is a, a a big big update. I mean, people are, are, are no doubt there will be criticism about it not being soon enough. Well, any software update would benefit from coming quicker, and you know, not being enough there. But I think uh, people will be pleasantly surprised by the the number of updates here. Perhaps not much in the way of visual changes, but certainly plenty of new features and functions and a lot going on under the hood as well absolutely and of course be far more on this especially when Rafe gets his hands on his own yes uh, preview in a few months time yes i hope so we'll uh, keep you up to date with the leaks as they, they come in but i think we've probably seen a lot of the big ones now um, i guess the next thing will be devices and uh, I, it'll be interesting to see if there's any manufacturer specific functions and updates i mean nokia's done a great job of adding various things you know lumia black lumia amber um whether that will continue obviously there's this uh, nokia being acquired by microsoft but a lot of the work for this will have of course already been done and i wouldn't be at all surprised to see uh, nokia doing some unique things especially some of the things they have done like a double tap to unlock for example are actually being taken into the main platform and are going to be available to all devices yeah, uh, probably sometime in the summer, and I, I guess we can't be more specific than that. But as ever with Lumia Black, that took a, at least a couple of months to roll out, so I guess there's no yeah. need to be too specific. Yeah, well, I'd, I'd say probably late spring would be a, a good guess and, and early summer for the existing devices. Yeah, yeah, so, so don't hold your breath. No. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> we, we will keep you informed through the year. Uh, one thing I wanted to chat about briefly, Rafe, is that uh, several people have asked me to do more on on how I take good photographs. And I've been doing a few tutorials on the site, but I don't want to overdo it on, in terms of text form. So I thought I'd just take a few minutes to just run, run through for interest's sake. How I take a photograph and then process it in my workflow using the applications on Windows Phone, because uh, there, I've got a couple of points to make here, if that's right with you. So um, I'm, in, I'm in a situation. I'm, I'm at a party or something. I'm at somebody's birthday. It was yesterday. I, I took a photograph. They were blowing out the candles. You get one shot at it. They blow out the candle. It takes all of one second to do. So you have to grab the moment at the, at the right point. So I took the, fo- the photo. First thing I did, turn the Xen flash on or LED flash if you've got an LED flash device. It gives yourself the maximum possible chance of the most light. Yes, I know there are candles involved, but <laughs> you've got moving people, moving lips, and you've got to try and freeze the moment if you possibly can. So I did done that that's stage one stage two if you've got a lumia 1520 or a 1020 in my case is to do any reframing now in my case i couldn't get very close to the person blowing out the candles so i was behind a big a couple of big burly chaps so i had to kind of lean over them and there was, there was furniture in the way and there was people's shoulders so that's exactly where the reframing and yet keeping the full five megapixel output resolution on things like the 1020 and the 1520 really come into their own so i reframed it and also did a bit of rotating to make it look arty and got the no extraneous stuff around the edge of the photograph. Stage three, uh, I used Nokia Creative Studio, which is an application mm-hmm. in the Nokia collection. Um, and the key to that is because it has a really good red eye fix. And I'll point people maybe in the show notes, Rafe, if you can link through to my article on rounding up all the red eye fix utilities. And there, there really are only a couple, one or two that actually work properly. And my favorite by far is Nokia Creative Studios. So basically, you, you, uh, you go into that. Uh, uh, you, sorry, you, you go into the gallery, the photo gallery, then do edit, and edit, and it brings up the option Nokia Creative Studio. You tap on the original, as in one of the, you know, vignetted or the other filtered effects, and then you just swipe left, and there's red eye fixed, and it does a really good job of auto detecting red eye and replacing it with a nice dark pupil that makes it look much more professional, and it's totally automatic. You don't have to worry about sizing pupils and 
fiddling around, moving your finger over the photo, hoping to get the, the dark spot in the right place, all and automatically works really well. Um, if the fourth stage, having saved that, is to do edit again from the gallery, and this time choose the built-in Windows phone function, crop, rotate, and auto-fix. And at this point, I like to experiment just by um, tapping on the auto-fix, because however good your uh, camera's choice of you know exposure and ISO were, uh, because you've had to do all this reframing, cropping, and red-eye fixing, something will have gone skew if at this point. And auto-fix normally does a pretty good job of you know, brightening the, the image up um, and giving you extra contrast, a bit of extra color, and generally making making it look more attractive. So at the end of all this, I then save that. That's four different stages, and I've then got a photograph which is you know framed nicely, rotated properly, the red eye's been fixed, it's, it's, it's ready to go, and I can then share it out and send it to friends and relatives, and everybody's happy. My only point, Rafe, would be that it's a bit of a shame, really, you have to go through the, some of these extra steps. Now, the reframing is fair enough, I guess, the editing, I think, could be um, could be optimized. Now, the Windows Phone has crop, rotate, and auto fixed. Nokia has its own Nokia Creative Studio, both of which kind of do uh, take photographs from a different angle, but both do roughly the same sort of things. Wouldn't it be great if, uh, especially as Microsoft is now buying Nokia, if, if perhaps those two functions, those two sets of features could be combined so you'd have one editor within Windows Phone that did the cropping, the rotating, the auto fixing, the red eye, the, the filtering, all of that all in one function without having to, you know, go backwards and forwards between two functions. Yeah, I've thought that myself when using this. I mean, I guess the countervailing argument to this is that you want an editor that's very simple for just you doing the basics, which is what that, obviously that crop um, uh, rotate and auto fix is about. And most of the time you're not needing to do, you know, the red eye stuff because a lot of photographs you know, aren't of people. But I do wonder whether it would be possible to create a UI that sort of combined the both, you know, maybe you know, self-disclosing on some of the more complex elements. And certainly uh, Creative Studio is more useful when you're doing that kind of advanced editing. And there's a lot more in Creative Studio as well. I mean, I like yeah. some of the color pop stuff can create, you know, it's ruining the original photo in one sense, but you can do create some quite eye-catching creations, particularly if you're sharing up to the you know, social media bit, Facebook, Twitter, or, or somewhere else. Um, and I've been really impressed with what, uh, and those apps all actually come out of uh, Nokia's uh, imaging team over in Lund in Sweden, and they've done a great job, and you see it in also the other things like you know, Cinemagraph and Focus or Refocus. Um, but yes, it does sort of strike me that some of this could be simplified, because what you've just described is you know, a seven or eight step process, which uh, at minimum takes you know, a couple of minutes to go through. Yeah, yeah. And at the moment, it strikes me that there could be better integration into the camera. I mean, I don't think any platform does this particularly well. Um, I think Windows Phone system of lenses actually works quite well, but I would like to see, you know, some way of either modifying that so edit shortcut or at least coming out with something a bit better yeah. from the photos hub it's a, it, it is a tricky one because you do have to balance it between you know making it too complex or you know too fixed in one way um but it's interesting uh, all, all of this kind of catches my interest in one sense because it's amazing how much we're doing on the phone itself and it, this isn't a new story by any means but you go back you know five ten years and it was always, oh, to get the most of my photos, I'll probably have to get them off to the PC. And that whole photo sync was a really big yeah. deal. And actually now, um, a lot of the time, the photos live on my my phone and uh, I'll certainly send them to other people from my phone, be that by email or, or social media. And it's interesting the way we go through that, uh, if you want to put it this, the workflow for dealing with photos has changed. And 
you know, we've been talking about just one particular element here, but it, it does make me think there's probably room for, you know, some more innovation there. It's, yeah. it's difficult to pick out one particular thing, but, you know, I think particularly around the family sharing of photos, you know, Microsoft made a, a start with this in the kind of the family room functionality. But if I think about the photos I share, it's often going to the, you know, the same group of people or the same group of friends. I, I wonder if there's room for, you know, a bit more intelligence there and you could perhaps tie it in with, you know, SkyDrive or OneDrive, that cloud storage system. I don't know. They're, they're just sort of thinking out loud yeah. there, and and that I would welcome it if it was part of that whole workflow process. Yeah, just one thing I would like to bring forward. I'm sorry to bring the Symbian word in again, but <laughs> this is something from Nokia, the same Nokia imaging team. Um, it, for the Nokia 808, which is only what two, two or three years ago, um, the Nokia imaging team implemented a feature whereby if there was red eye in a photograph. It, okay, the, the photograph was captured with the glint of the flash in the back of the rest of people's eyes, and you got red eye. But the moment you started editing the photograph, the moment you started zooming in with your fingers and multi-touch, it automatically took the red eye out. It was it it detected it on the fly and removed it, so that when you saved that that that, that image again, the red eye was gone. Now that's something that Nokia already has the expertise to do, and I would love to see that just make its way into into the camera software, so that the camera itself. When you take a photograph with flash, it automatically thinks, oh, I've taken it with flash. Is there any red eye in the result? Oh, look, spots of red. I'll remove it on the fly and, and never bother the user with Because after all, who wants to have red eyes shining out from babies' faces? You, it's, <laughs> everyone wants red eyes to be gone. It seems to be a really easy thing that they could possibly implement. Well, of course, it does depend whether you're demonic or not and have red eyes anyway. But um, I suspect <laughs> yes. that's a pretty small use case. Uh, I think you're right here. And actually, I'd extend it to more of this we've talked about it before computational photography in general i think there's actually a lot of potential in recognizing something that's wrong with your photo and we're talking about red eye here but it could be i don't know contrast or blur or, or something that could be fixed in post-processing uh, and i think it'd be great if the camera application itself either did it automatically or somehow you know offered you know for example you could have an icon pop up on 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 screen saying you know do you want this to be disappeared or, or you know I, yeah. we're not experts on ui design or user interaction but there's you know a great deal of potential there to sort of we've kept your basic image but we've recognized these five things that are wrong with it or that could be improved with it and the auto fix process is great but a lot of the time that's combining several different elements together and i think there's you know a lot more intelligence there and you know this this comes into the kind of stuff we see in the burst modes particularly you know with smart camera this idea that you can swap faces around or you know you can create moving things or blur or whatever there isn't much that's within the camera ui within the you know photos editor ui that sort of does that really well yet so i think there's room for plenty of development there and actually i suspect that's where we'll see some activity from the, the sort of the nokia imaging team or that as it will soon be i guess the microsoft imaging team in the future and i'm really interested in seeing that because it's all about making the photos more beautiful as they come out the camera or uh, out the phone more likely to share them making it easier to sort of shoot great photos yeah, I did notice that in the again switching switching across the Android world that Google's auto awesome where by photos you you take on your Android device they get automatically massaged and optimized at the the Google Plus Google Photos end and you can turn it off if you don't want it messing around but there was the, the acceptance that the the processing power available to their servers can spot obvious defects like red eye like too, far too bright far too dark and fix them for you without you having to lift a finger. And I think there's definitely more scope there for yeah. to do that on the phone, yeah. Absolutely. And by the same token, it's that um, nightmare scenario where you've taken several hundred photos, 
and you kind of want to work out which are the best ones or even sort of group them into sort of locations or, or dates for viewing them. We're kind of seeing a bit of that in uh, Nokia's Storyteller, but I think actually it makes sense to do some of that on the server side and on the cloud storage where you're storing your photos and Google's actually starting to do a couple of things there as well in addition to that auto awesome and i think that's the other area that's really interesting into exploring the future you know can it get to the point where it can pick out the five best photos that you've taken on a holiday i think it gets very difficult because of course a lot of that's subjective and particularly for you know when you're taking pictures of people there's actually an emotional element to it that one particular photograph might be more important than another one because of the scene it captures or the memory it captures but um i'd like to think some intelligence can be brought to sort of photo organization uh, and browsing and there's you know sensors all sorts of things that could could help there and uh yeah we'll we'll see more of that in the future no doubt yeah yeah uh, before we finish the podcast i would just like to look ahead to mobile world congress which starts next week rafe will be on the ground i have heard a little bird of my whispering there might be a couple of low-end devices from nokia are we able to are we able to speculate there I, I think we can speculate i mean it's interesting there hasn't really been as many leaks about exactly what nokia is um, announcing with kind of one exception which we'll talk about in a minute but it does seem likely that there'll be a couple of sort of mid-tier or lower end devices um particularly the lumia 630 and 635 expecting these to be maybe five inch screen devices but um spit up in the air at the moment these two have been leaked a couple of times in renders and one's going to be a, a single sim version one's going to be a dual sim version so that'll be the uh, the first dual sim windows phone device um and uh, you know it's kind of um a replacement stroke companion for the 620 625 range so i suspect you'll be running the same kind of internal uh, specifications of the 1320 kind of referred to that as the new low end of windows yeah, phone yeah. Um, and that's actually going to be pretty interesting because that's a fairly capable processor based around the snapdragon 400 so definitely a step up in performance terms and again it's going to create these really great value windows phone devices and uh, i think if you look at the you know things like the 526 2720 now they are excellent value for money but you can see that they're getting a little bit long in the teeth in terms of the hardware and you know it's going to be fine for the next year and we've already heard that they're going to get 8.1 but if you want something that's just that little bit snappier maybe waiting for these devices i mean you will end up paying a price premium uh, and no doubt there'll be some you know, unique element that nokia introduces with these so i think that's going to be the big news for windows phone i do wonder whether there may also be a couple of um I think there's also going to be a couple of accessories. Um, Treasure Tag, we've talked about it on the podcast before. It's kind of a proximity sensor. It's using low-power Bluetooth. You attach it to something and then your phone, and if they get separated, um, your phone will alert you. It will remember the last location it saw. It's kind of a smart luggage tag, but you could attach it to you know keys and other things as well. Um, there's an app for that in the Windows Phone Store that went live a couple of weeks ago, which does rather suggest it's coming for mwc wouldn't be surprised to see a couple of other low power bluetooth um, accessories especially now that nokia actually has that working in all their windows phone devices there is still a possibility i guess that there'll be a high-end device we've just had the lumia icon announced which i can't believe we haven't talked about on this podcast but it is um, us specific and we have mentioned it a few times but might just do a few on a few minutes on that at the end um so we're kind of expecting a world variant of that at some point won't look identical just as the um, 928 and the 920 didn't um, i wonder whether though that um, nokia might hold that for when windows phone 8.1 gets announced and say it's going to arrive with that on board i, I don't know i mean i'd kind of like to think it would be announced at barcelona but there's been very little information about that we know it exists um, 
but there hasn't actually been kind of leaks of renders which usually would have expected to happen by this time if it was being announced at uh, Barcelona. Yeah. It kind of makes sense that they might hold it back for the big new um, Windows Phone 8.1 and then say, oh, it's going to be available in two weeks' time, um, which is, you know, if it was, say, announced at um, at the beginning of April and then was available halfway through or at the end of April, it would kind of meet that timeline that we've been talking about before. Uh, I think the thing that Nokia's going to announce that's going to, going to cause lots of interest is the uh, Nokia Normandy, which we've talked about in the podcast before. It looks like it's going to be called the Nokia X, and this is the Android Nokia device, and it's going to obviously get called an Android smartphone, and everyone's going to get very excited. But as uh, we said before, really, this is actually a replacement for the Asher devices as a, a feature phone. I mean, it will be called a smartphone because it is going to have Android underneath it. It's not going to be Android in the sense of Google Android. It's going to be a forked version of Android. It will have a Nokia store and probably a couple of other third-party app stores on it as well for installing Android applications. And it won't have Google Maps or Gmail. It'll have Nokia or Microsoft equivalents of those. And uh, I think the most accurate way to talk about this is it's going to be Asher on Android rather than Asher on Series 40, which is what we have at the moment with devices like the, the Nokia 500, the, the Asher 500 and the Asher 503. And it'll actually be quite difficult at first glance to tell the devices apart because it will have the same fast lane UI and many of the kind of look and feel both on the hardware and the software side. And so I think people are going to get incredibly excited about this and some consumers are going to go, at last, it's a Nokia Android device. But I suspect they might be disappointed mm-hmm. um, because it's not really what, what people are expecting. I, I think it's a really interesting move by Nokia. Of course, there's all kind of politics tied up in it. It's going to be very interesting to see how they present this because I think the big challenge is how do you kind of get that message to the press and to analysts and to media without them sort of going nuts about the Android side of it, which in some ways is not that relevant apart from maybe the app ecosystem part of it. But if Nokia can pull off, you know, uh, an Android-based device at a low cost, and we're talking well below £100, it really needs to be below the $100 mark, I think, to, to be really effective. It, it's got a lot of potential because I think a lot of us would have used cheap or seen cheap Android devices and felt they're a bit flaky. And uh, I mean, I know, Steve, you use the kind of the Asher devices and it wasn't really the hardware that let it down. I mean, obviously there's limitations from the cost point of view, but it was the software you felt that let it down. Do you, you know, it would be interesting to see a, a really solid piece yeah. of Nokia hardware, but running on kind of a next generation feature phone platform, which just happens to be based on Android. Yeah, that's fair enough. I think the, the, the Series 40 feature phone OS and, and base, it, it never really satisfied anyone who'd had any taste of smartphoning because you, you knew as a smartphone owner, you, you wanted to go from A to B to C to D and jump applications more or less at the touch of an, an icon and to have to wait four or five seconds between each function was a just horrendous uh, break, breakdown in terms of timing. Having said that, from a, a, a beginner who would only be going into these applications once or twice a day, it wasn't a problem, which is why they were absolutely referred to as feature phones, despite what Nokia may say about the higher <laughs> ashes. To have um, the, the, this um, fast lane UI on an Android base and presumably running much, much better in terms of multitasking, I think will give a much better user experience. But I, you said it wasn't about the hardware. In fact, it was kind of about the hardware. I played with uh, several of the Nokia Asher devices over the last 12 months, and I was appalled by some of the compromises that had to be made to get them down to the price points, especially when things like the Lumia 520, which is a cracking Windows phone, essentially, itself has a lot of compromises, but is worlds better, worlds better than any of the Asher phones. And I, I absolutely could not see could not see why devices like the 520 
um, would be at, this, at roughly the same price as some of the Asher devices. Why the Asher device even existed? The Lumia 520 should have blasted all the rest away. And I, I get very frustrated that Windows Phone, much as the 520 is sold, why it didn't sell 10 times more. I'm very, very puzzled. Yeah, it's an interesting one. That I mean, that's partly about... Uh, 520 pricing with some operator subsidies here in the UK and in the US especially. If you go elsewhere, uh, look in the Indian market or some of the other emerging markets where the Asher devices have done very well, they do tend to be uh, more expensive and it's related to pay as you go subsidies and special offers and everything else. But yes, I think that's an important point and uh, from the early indications, it looks like this uh, Nokia X handset is going to have a hardware specification that's pretty similar actually to the 520. And I think um, that yeah. combined with that kind of, it, we still don't know very much about it and there's lots of open questions about this. I think it's got a lot of potential. I mean, the the question is here, you know, why does it exist? You know, why not push Windows Phone down? I think the simple answer is you can't get Windows Phone down to that you know price point that we're going to be talking about. And it may only be a, a £25 difference or it may you know, there may not be much visible price difference to those of us who've benefited from having the 520, you know, in that sub £100 or sub $100 price bracket. Uh, but when you look at the, you know, kind of the actual average selling price for that device, you know, things do change a little bit. Um, so it's certainly something we'll be keeping an eye on with great deal of interest. Um, and I think the way that is played out in terms of how that works with Windows Phone and what Microsoft thinks about it is all going to be part of the interesting discussion about it. I think personally there's space for this kind of on-ramp device um, whereby you know you have a, a device that runs the Nokia or the Microsoft services that's at a, available at a cheaper price point than you know Windows Phone and it probably needs that to compete with Android that is getting very low cost. And the reason you're doing it on top of Android is because there's a, a lot of the existing silicon is already supporting that. And effectively, you're kind of putting a skin on top of that uh, and maybe smoothing out some of the rough edges by forking forking Android. The, the technical details, we can't really get into too much here. Um, but yeah. the potential is, is, is certainly there, but it does require you know some explaining. And, you know, for me, actually, in one sense, it comes back to this question is, can you have a platform stretch right from the high end all the way down to the low end and sort of be a single entity work in the same way without any compromises? And I think that's really difficult to do. At the moment, we've got Windows Phone sort of doing it, but it doesn't actually get down low enough. We've got Android certainly yeah, doing it, but there are some real sacrifices made at the low end when you get onto the very cheap devices. They don't work anything like they do at the high end. Whereas Windows Phone, the difference between the low end and the high end, I think, is much smaller. Yeah. Um, we actually saw the same thing happen in the Symbian world, really. I think except it was the other way around, and that too much was sacrificed to be suitable for the low end and not enough attention was paid at the high end. And it's not just, you know, in terms of hardware support. It's also the way features and things fit together because, of course, you put something on at the high end that requires a certain amount of processing. You may have to limit it or remove it altogether at the low end. And does that then break how the platform should work or does it remove a certain set of functionality that you know, works really well i mean you might think about a camera app and do you end up having to divide it into kind of a low processing camera app and a high processing camera app and it's obviously it gets more complex than that when we start talking about apis and bits sitting underneath notification system often being a, a good example of that or the way multitasking works or background agents all that kind of thing um, I'm yet to be convinced that you can do that with a, a single platform with the speed that mobile's moving. And so I think it, it could turn out to be quite a canny move on the part of Nokia. And I guess it will be Microsoft to ha kind of have this introductory platform that's optimized for that level and works really well at that level. And then have it as an on-ramp to 
to Windows Phone that takes over for only can pass maybe the hundred pound or the hundred dollar price point right up to to the high end. But uh, it's an open question, this, and I think it's going to be one of the big topics at MWC inevitably. Uh, you know, Microsoft's buying Nokia, and oh, they're just about to announce an Android device before that all happens. Mm-hmm. Also at MWC, uh, the, I'll make this the last thing because we are running long, Rafe. Yeah. Um, you're apparently going to be able to get your hands, at least briefly, on this uh, Nokia Lumia icon. We should just mention this briefly before we finish. Um, it's a Verizon exclusive, so it's United States only, running on their network. It, as usual with the Verizon devices, it's kind of custom designed in terms of styling for that for that particular network with a very unique look and feel. It's a 5-inch screen, 1080p, AMOLED technology. The same 20 megapixel pure view camera as in the 1520 2.2 gigahertz processor, 2 gig of RAM and wireless charging, um, plus 4G LTE. So it's a pretty tasty handset. And uh, as you say, we're probably not seeing something equivalent for Europe and the world for another couple of months. But at least you'll be able to get your hands on it and perhaps an image gallery and hands-on impressions, right? Yes, I certainly hope so. I mean, I think they've done a better job on the design and materials of this one. It's got an aluminium band around the outside. The build quality is a little better. So I'm told we're still having to do this uh, is third hand but it's kind of that hardware specification that everyone admired in the 1520 but said six inch screen was just a little bit too big and uh, you know i think it will become the mainstream windows phone device for certainly the first half of 2014 and we've got this icon kind of out there as an example but it's just a matter of time before there's a you know world varied it does kind of irritate me a little bit as a a non-american that uh, this kind of the flagship device is available exclusively to verizon users for a a little while but i guess if you're an at&t user you're probably feeling just as uh, frustrated i'd far rather seen the world there and come out at the same time or you know beforehand which is what happened last time with the 920 and the 928 but it does uh, it does promise a lot of what's what's coming and i certainly hope to get my hands on that and uh, be able to report back a little bit from mwc there are as always, at MWC, loads of other announcements coming. We're actually probably going to see the uh, Samsung S5 rather against expectations. Um, there'll be some of the devices that Sony announced at CES also on show. I'm sure we're going to see more from the other manufacturers as well, a lot of the Chinese manufacturers. Um, I'll be heading off to some HTC events as well. Kind of, It's a, a good opportunity for me to take a much broader view, and I'll report back on that on the podcast, getting loads of things about wearables, various smartwatches and activity trackers. Uh, but if there's something that existing Windows Phone users want to look out for, I think the smart money would be on here and Nokia announcing that uh, updated satellite imagery will be available through the uh, the here suite of products and that's something i'm really looking forward to seeing because at the moment the quality of that isn't too great but they've been busy updating their their back end and it's actually a relatively simple uh, they can switch it on and maybe a an app update required to, to have that happen and then you'll have uh, high quality satellite data which will be uh, equivalent to or actually better than that that's available through google maps and so it's an existing update that i think everyone listening to this will be able to benefit from Lovely. We are out of time. Thank you very much for listening. This has been the All About Windows Phone Insight Podcast, allaboutwindowsphone.com. It's a goodbye from me and uh, apologies from Ewan and uh, goodbye from Rafe, I guess. Uh, yes, goodbye from me as well. And just to give you a, a taste of what's come, I know Steve is working on another one of his uh, famous uh, camera comparisons, <laughs> Lumia 1020 versus the QX100, which is kind of the... Uh, dslr equivalent of the separate sony cam we talked about on the last podcast so watch out for that because that's going to be another great piece